learning about how we are called to be witnesses of Jesus. We want to encourage you to keep listening to our sermons during the week, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and so follow us at our Centerview podcast. And here are just some ways you can give to Centerview. You can give online via text, and also we um, collect our tithes and offerings at the end of, um, of service. Let's just stand together and pray before our service. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. We thank you for the very breath that you give us, Lord Jesus, and for having us gather here this morning together. Lord God, to hear your word and to hear you speak through us, Lord Jesus. So we pray, Father God, that our hearts would be welcoming, our hearts would be open, our hearts would be softened, Lord God, ready to receive your word this morning. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work into our hearts, Father God, that you would clear our minds of anything unclean, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your precious and beautiful name. And we all say, amen. Let's worship. Stood 'neath the death of the. Name. 
Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that even if we deserve something, you give us something that we do not deserve. You give us your life. You make us new. You make us new creations. And this is all you're doing. And we thank you for it, Lord. Help us to appreciate everything we receive from you. And help us to see everything that we receive from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Centerview Church. It's so great to be here with you today. Just want to make another announcement. On um, Sunday, November, November, I'm like already in Christmas, man. Um, Sunday, June the 25th, we're going to have our very own Christian Tubon Bangua who's going to be preaching here with us. I think he's got a slide, this young man. There we go. We're excited. Um, so Christian and Katie and uh, Juan and Ayel, they finished Bible school, and they're starting to get their feet wet in ministry, and we've hired them as uh, summer students. And Christian and Katie, we've brought on as assistant pastors. And so um, he's really nervous. So if you see him today around, just tell him you're praying for him as he preaches in two weeks. Amen. I'm excited. Um, so th this group of young people, they come to my house on Thursdays and Fridays. That's where we work from. And then, um, um, you know, Christian has this thing of going to my basement. And he, like, he preaches out loud. And so we're just four or five times already and just trying to make all the corrections and all the mistakes that he's making. And th that's a joke. But just encourage them. Amen. Um, I, I, was telling, I was telling these young people, um, as we were talking about preaching, that the first time I preached at Bible school, um, I was so nervous that everybody at the end felt seasick, like physically seasick, because the whole time I preached, I was like this. <laughs> and their eyes were just like, and they were, it literally caused a physical reaction in some people, because um, I was so nervous, and wanting to faithfully preach the Word of God. But that's how it goes as you learn and grow, amen? And so we want to encourage these young people as they're uh, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Um, today's a heavy day. Um, I really want to encourage you to take out your smartphones or if you take notes here at service, that you take out your notepad. We're going to be sharing some uh, prayer requests and I want to challenge you and call you to, um, to be praying for these people, please, during this week and next week and the week after. Um, there's just been a flood this week of prayer requests. And um, I want to call us as a church to be praying together. Amen. Um, I want to pray for a little boy named Rhett. Um, he is four years old. Um, he's the son of a pastor friend of mine whose name is Drew in Alberta. And he was diagnosed this week with cancer. Um, they found a, a tumor on his bladder. They, they did tests. And it had meta metastasized already, starting to spread throughout his body. Um, 
they're running more tests, they're trying to figure out what next steps are, and you can imagine for a little four-year-old boy, he has no clue what's going on. But we pray for Drew and Kristen, his parents, and three other siblings, that God would give them strength and grace, and that God would bring healing upon this little boy's life. Amen? His name is Rhett. I also want to pray for a pastor from our denomination named uh, Dan Rogi. He pastors New Life Church in Milton, and he was diagnosed with colon cancer this past week also. Now, we received news then that we just want to lift up our brother in prayer, amen? That God would be at work in his body and bring healing and restoration, and that God would give him and his church strength as they navigate this, amen? We also want to pray for Stephanie's friend, um, Siobhan who was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and she's going in on Monday, tomorrow, for surgery. And she's young and nervous, right? She has a good support system around her, family and friends, but we pray that God would use his power and the wisdom of doctors to bring healing upon her life. Amen? I'm not sure if any of you guys heard about that, um, that bus accident that happened here in Mississauga. Well, actually, um, someone that Susie works with knows the family and the person that passed away, the Jeanette family, um, the person who passed away, um, died in that crash. And her name is Sharon. Am I saying this right, Sue? Yeah, Sharon. She's the one that passed away in the crash. So we just want to pray for Jeanette's family the Jeanette family, that God would be with them and strengthen them during this time of loss and a tragedy that they weren't expecting. Amen. Susie also is asking that we pray for her boss's family because um, the, her boss's sister-in-law, Denali, passed away in her sleep last week. She had just returned from deployment, soldier in the United States, 29 years old, and died in her sleep with no cause whatsoever. And the family is devastated. They don't know what's happened. So this 29 young woman just passed away. Denali. Our sister Oksana also asks that we pray for her people back home in the Ukraine because of that significant um, water dam that collapsed that's caused the devastating floods and it's displaced many people. The water levels are still rising. And more and more people are having to flee their homes. And so we want to pray for them. Our sister Rosanna, who's with us today, she has an important exam happening this upcoming week regarding a health concern that she's facing. Our sister Mariah, who's teaching our kids today, her grandmother, Maria, is in the hospital with pneumonia. She's 84 years old. We also want to pray for Sean's father, Khalil, who's experiencing some foot trouble, and he is going to be traveling soon back home, and he's concerned. And finally, we want to pray for the people of Alberta and of Quebec who've been affected by the, the fires that are raging our country. Amen? There's been many who've been displaced and who've had to evacuate. If you feel like that's a long list, you need to understand something. People reach out to us every day asking for us to pray. Do you know why? 
because they know we're going to pray. So I hope, and I hope that you don't get overwhelmed by the long list, but that, that instead that you would be feel the call to cry out to the Lord God on behalf of these people and situations. Amen? So why don't you stand with me? Let us pray for these people. Amen. Father God, we are in your presence. We know that we stand before the God who is all-powerful and all-knowing. And Lord God, we bring each and every one of these people to you. Lord, we pray for this little boy, Rick. Lord God, have mercy. Lord, we, we beg you, Lord, have mercy. Lord, we pray for that tumor on his bladder. We pray for how it's begun to spread. And we ask, Lord God, that it would shrivel up and die. God, that all that cancer would leave and evacuate his body in the name of Jesus. Lord, extend your healing hand and your divine power and touch and heal and restore and be at work in this little body, God, for the glory of your name. We pray for Drew and for Kristen, and we pray, God, that you would be their anchor, that you would be their strength, that you would be their strong tower, God, during this time, that they would know that there are an army of people who are interceding for them and standing with them, God, as they face this challenge before. Jesus, you said that in this world we would have tribulations, but that we could be of good cheer because you have overcome. And that's our hope, is in that you, Jesus Christ, have overcome death. And that you have overcome the power of the enemy. And that you have overcome the power of sin. And that you have brought salvation, eternal life, and healing itself. And we pray, God, heal little wrath. We pray for Pastor Dan of New Life Church. God, we pray that you would put your hands upon his body and upon his colon and that you would bring healing, God. Preserve your servant, God, we pray for many, many more years of fruitful ministry. God, we ask that he would continue to be able to proclaim, God, the gospel message of Jesus Christ faithfully, God, in the city of, Mrs. of Milton, which is growing and expanding. God, they need him. They need his work. Lord God, please, we pray, touch and heal and restore. Father, we pray for Siobhan as she goes in for surgery tomorrow for breast cancer. Lord God, be her anchor, be her strength. Lord, we ask, Lord God, that you would guard her heart and that you would guard her, guard her mind and that you would give her that peace that goes beyond human understanding, to trust in you and to know that you are with her and that you are faithful. Lord God, we pray for the Jeanette family, God, who have lost their loved one in this car accident. God, we pray, Lord God, in the midst of this tragedy that they would lift up their eyes to the heavens and know that their help comes from the Lord, that you are the one who can comfort, that you are the one who can sustain them, that you are the one who can bring them through this tragedy. God, we pray, be with them, O oh Lord. Comfort their hearts. Console them, God, we ask. Lord, we pray, God, for the family of Denali as this young woman has died and passed away. Lord God, I pray that you would use Susie as a light. Give her the words as she comforts, as she speaks, that the light of Christ would be evident in her and through her, God, for the glory of your name. 
that she would help them see that Jesus Christ is the firm foundation on which they could stand during this moment of loss and tragedy, that you are their hope, that you are their only hope. God, we pray. Lord, we ask you to be with your daughter, Rosanna, as she goes in for this examination this week. Lord God, we pray that she would get good news, that you would bring great joy to her and her family, God, as they keep their eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith. Lord God, you say in your word that you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you. We stand on the truth of your word today, Lord God. We pray for Mariah's grandmother, Maria, who's in the hospital with pneumonia. And God, we pray that you would be at work in this woman's life, that you would heal and restore her, that she would see your mighty hand at work in her. Father God, for Khalil, this man, God, we pray, God, that you would eradicate all of those foot pains, God, and that you would bring him home safely back to his family, God, we pray. And Father God, we pray also for Tysa, for Christina's co-worker, whose sister-in-law also collapsed and died. 34 years old, God, as the family mourns the loss of and this loved one, God, we pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy, Lord God. Be with Tysa. Be with Tysa's brother, Lord God. Be their anchor. Be their strength, Lord God. Be at work, Lord Father God, we pray. And God, and for the people of this world, and for the people in Ukraine, Lord God, who are experiencing this devastation of these water floods, God, who have been displaced and have nowhere to go, nowhere to live. God, we pray, have mercy. God, we pray, have mercy, Lord God, and we pray that you would provide for their needs. God, we pray that your church in the area, God, would rise up and care and support and come alongside God and be your hands and feet, Lord God. We ask for the glory of your name, but we know that there is power in prayer, and we pray for them. Lord God, do not let one of them, God, perish. But preserve their lives, God, we ask. Hold back those floods, Lord God. Do not allow the water levels to rise anymore, God. We pray that you would stretch out your divine hand, Lord. And for those in our own country, God, who have been affected by these fires, specifically in Alberta and Quebec, God, we pray. God, have mercy, Lord God. That you, God, would be their home that you would be their rest. God, that they would know that there is nothing that can touch or stand in the way of what you give and what you provide. Lord, we know that things of this world are temporal and passive. They are here today and gone tomorrow. And we know, Lord God, that we hold the treasures of the kingdom of God in us and we are simply jars of clay. Oh, Lord God, so be with these people. Help them look to the heavens and to know, God, that you are faithful and that you are with them that though they may lose the things of this world, that your salvation is eternal and true always. Lord, we pray all of this, God, for the glory of your name, that your will be done, that your kingdom come. And God's people say, amen and amen. Before you sit down, I want to encourage you to get up out of your seat. Go say hello to someone you may not know. Introduce yourself. I know how much Eric loves doing this. <laughs>
I want to remind you that um, we're in the middle of a, of a fundraising campaign. Um, we're raising money for a Bible school in Nepal, and we're partnering with Pastor Puspa. Um, as I've been sharing, I'm hoping next week to have a video for you of the work that they did in a Bible school last year. Um, Pastor Puspa has been running this Bible school for the last 12 years. And um, this past year and for these 12 years, they've never had beds to offer the Bible school students who come. And so the Bible school students come for 30 days and they sleep on the floor. And as I was sharing this and hearing this, him share this, my heart was just racing and being like, we could at least be the kind of church that provides people who are coming to learn God's word a place for them to sleep so that they can be prepared the next day to learn God's word. Amen. And so we're hoping to raise $4,000 to build 35 bunk beds and to be able to purchase the mattresses so that as they run this Bible school next January and February of 2024, those students could at least have their basic needs met. Amen. We here can take for granted so much that we have. Amen. And so we are just praying that God would be at work in our hearts, touching us, convicting each and every one of us to come alongside and do what we can to be able to ensure that these students get the rest they need so that they can learn God's word every day. Amen. So I encourage you to participate and to get involved. If you do so by the envelope, just write missions on it. If you give online or through text messages, just write missions. And we'll make sure that every penny and cent that you give goes towards them. You know what my greatest joy and pleasure is always? Every fundraiser we've done, we've always raised more money than what we set out to do. You have no clue what it's like telling people who tell us how much they need to tell them that we're going to give them more money. You understand, like them thinking, hey, listen, we've raised what we needed to so that you can build these, but here's some more money so that you can feed these Bible school students better. So just know that every dollar you give towards missions goes towards missions. Amen. So I want to encourage you, open up your Bibles. We've been in the book of Acts of the Apostles since the beginning of this year. And we're in chapter 11 today, and we're going to pick up our text in verses 1 to verse 18. That is connected to last week's text of Cornelius, the Gentile. And like we do every Sunday, we have one of our brothers coming today who is going to read the text for us. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. So Brother Shane, please come. that the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the, circum the circumcised party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in the order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision 
something like a great sheet descended, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. I heard a voice say to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again to heaven. And behold, at the very moment three men arrived at the house in which they in which we were, and sent to sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told them, told me to go with them, making no dis distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare you the message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as it fell on us in the beginning. And I remember, I remember the word of the Lord, who, said, who he said, John baptized with water, water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When, he heard the, when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your word humbly this morning. And we pray that you would lead us and that you would guide us in your truth. We pray that our hearts would be good soil. We pray, Lord God, that you would illuminate us through the power of your Holy Spirit to understand your truth. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I want you to imagine what it would be like if you walked into the theater foyer and before you were allowed to come in to this theater, you were asked to have to cut away a part of your body. How many of you might never come back? <laughs> Imagine if one of the prerequisites of our church was that you'd be bald like me. It's really easy for me. But some of you guys have some very wavy locks of hair. Like, just look at Juan. Not as blessed as he is. Imagine if we insisted that people be like us and do what we do in order for them to come and to be a part of the people of God. Imagine. Now, I'm just going to do 
this, and I'm not asking that anyone here feel uncomfortable. Okay, but if I ask you to stand, just do so. John, stand. Why don't you stand, Sister Viva? Um, Bola, stand. Madhu, Depika, stand. Well, not you, sorry, not uh, Depika, sorry. I did not say Lola. Uh, you're not wearing a, a Bordeaux shirt. What do we all have in common? Uh, Sandy, Brother Sandy, stand. Did you guys not get the church email this week? Imagine if this was not planned, there was no email. That if to be able to come into the building, you had to wear this color shirt. You wouldn't be able to be here. That, that these brothers and sisters are somehow more blessed or are more accessible to God than you and you are. Imagine if we were that kind of people. We have a box at the back with Bordeaux shirts. You can take one when you leave. You guys can sit down. We don't have a box at the back with Bordeaux shirts, so nobody at the end ask. Okay? Just so you know. But imagine. Did you, did you see how our sister Lola fell out of place? She's like, oh my goodness. I don't even know if I have a Bordeaux shirt. And this is the topic that we're talking about in our text. That there seems to be this idea that there are those who are haves and have-nots. And that there's a group of people who actually are trying to insist that the other group of people have to do certain things in order for them to be accepted by God. And this way of thinking, this prejudice, this actually form of discrimination, instead of <laughs> uniting people, is separating people. And that God has to deal with this now because now God has chosen to offer salvation to everyone. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what language you speak. What country, your background, your ethnicity. God has now, according to his sovereign providence, decided to offer salvation to the whole world. And yet the Jews are struggling because up until now, they believe that they are only God's people and that if you want to be part of God's people, there's something that you need to cut away if you're a man. You have to be circumcised. And so we come to our text. I, I want you just to look around the room. Imagine if everyone here was like you. Or that they had to be like you to be part of God's people. And so we come to our text. A historic event has happened in Acts chapter 10. Gentiles. Remember how Jews view Gentiles? They were like Dogs, non-Jews, have 
have received the word of God and have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people don't understand what God has done, and there's confusion on the matter. And this is where we pick up our text. We see in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, first, that there is a protest. In verse 1, the other 11 apostles and the brothers, they receive news of what's happened in Caesarea with Cornelius and his household. The word brothers here, it refers to Jewish believers who were part of the Jerusalem church and of the churches that had been started by Jewish believers. Those who had to scatter throughout Judea as a result of the persecution of Acts chapter 9. That as the believers went, who were all Jewish, they went and they preached Jesus. And as they preached Jesus, they started other churches. But those churches were Jewish churches. We saw in Acts 9 and 10, some of these churches. We saw that there was a church in Lida. We saw that there was a church in Joppa. And now this revolutionary news that a man named Cornelius and his whole household has been saved by God is spreading throughout all of Judea. Gentiles, and look at the word, have received the word of God. That's what Luke says. You see, as a result of of Peter preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ, Gentiles, these dogs... Those who were outside of the people of God have received God's word, which means that they believed that Jesus was the Savior. See, they positively received with open hearts the preaching of Peter, which led them to believe and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, these Gentiles who were hated by Jews are now a part and welcomed into the kingdom of God. God has chosen to save them. I want you to know that it is no different today. We, as the church, are called to faithfully preach the word of God so that sinners, just as these Gentiles were, have the opportunity to receive the message of Jesus Christ as Savior. This is why we exist as the church. We're to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, is showing how believers went and testified to Jesus Christ. We are called to go and to give others the opportunity to hear about Jesus, to receive the word of God. And this is the living out of the great commission that we see in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, which says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To do what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That this is what Jesus commanded the apostles to go and do. To go and make disciples. To go and teach and to share the truths that Jesus had given them. This revolutionary news 
if Gentiles receiving the word of God had never happened before. Never. Salvation now is for all people. And it's being talked about by the church leaders in Jerusalem and all of the Jewish believers throughout all of Judea. And they're trying to understand what's happened. Again, just to make it clear, up until this point, the church consisted of only Jewish believers. And they were still practicing certain parts of Judaism. We saw at the beginning of the book of Acts that believers are still going to the temple to pray. And they're still practicing their traditions. But now God has welcomed the Gentiles into the church. And so there is confusion and there is disagreement in Jerusalem because Peter hasn't had the opportunity to come yet and to explain what happened. Are you guys with me? Why hasn't Peter come? Well, just flip back maybe one page in your Bible or if you're on your phone, scroll. And look at what it says in, the, in Acts 10, 48. We see why Peter hasn't come yet to Jerusalem. The text says, And he, that being Peter, commanded them to be baptized. So, so this is the end when, when Peter preaches, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And Peter says if the Holy Spirit has fallen on them, now they need to show just the outward evidence of the work of God being done in their hearts. They need to be what? Water baptized. And so Peter commands that Cornelius and his whole household is water baptized. And then what does Cornelius' family do? Then they asked him to remain for some days. So Cornelius and his household asked Peter to stay with them for some days. And here's the important part. This staying with Cornelius implies that he was sharing his life and sharing meals with Gentiles. And this would have made Peter what? Unclean. He would have been defiling himself by being with them. He would be breaking the Old Testament dietary laws. He was breaking the Old Testament table fellowship law. Sharing food with Gentiles. So after Peter spends time with Cornelius in Caesarea, in verse 2 it says that Peter goes up to Jerusalem to meet with the 11 apostles and with the believers. And when Peter gets there, instead of there being a sense of excitement with the wonderful news that Gentiles have received the word of God, Jewish believers that are in the church, that are a part of a group called the Circumcision Party, it says that in the text, right? I'm not making this up. That there is a group, maybe a small group. You know how we have small groups in our church? That there was a small group in the church in Jerusalem called the Circumcision Party. And they are extremely conscientious of the Old Testament dietary and table fellowship purity laws. The issue is clear to this group of people. It's who Peter is with. 
What does the text say? Uncircumcised men. And what he did when he was with the uncircumcised men, which is what? You ate with them. This is the source of their criticism. They're questioning Peter's actions. And they can't believe that he would have allowed himself to become unclean by being in the presence of Gentiles and of sharing food with them. No faithful Jew would intentionally break the Old Testament dietary and, and table fellowship purity laws. And the goodwill of these Jewish believers is somehow now coming to an end. You see, if you remember, um, in, in, in chapter 9, Philip goes to, Simer uh, to Samaria. Right? And, and, and he goes to Samaria, and, and the Samaritans believe. And, and, and when the leaders in the Jerusalem church hear about what's happening, they send Peter and John to go to Samaria. Why? Because they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John come to Samaria, lay hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. But you have to remember that to a pure Jew, a Samaritan was what? A half-breed. They weren't pure Jews. They were a mixture of people. But, 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 but to the pure Jews, they could at least say, well, Samaritans are at least half-Jews. We're okay with God going that far. But now Peter is taking it too far. He's fraternizing with Gentiles, the enemies. This is extremely controversial. There, he's ignoring the Jewish tradition of purity. He's doing what he knows he shouldn't. Their question is the equivalent of today us asking, What were you thinking, Peter? You initiated an encounter with Gentiles uncircumcised men, people who want nothing to do with God, and even worse, you willingly chose to eat with them. Why is this an issue? Remember, again, up until this point, only who is part of the church? Jewish believers. And they believed that the Messiah would come, the Savior would come to save them. But only them. Because they were God's people. And everybody else wasn't. All Jewish males were circumcised. Because they believed that it was an outward sign to God's promise with Abraham that you were part of the people of God. And so if a Gentile wanted to be part of the people of God, he would have to take this important step of converting to Judaism and of becoming circumcised. This is what made you a proselytite. And we, we learned last week that Cornelius was not willing to take this final step. He was a God-fearer. 
He was someone who wanted to follow and serve the God of Israel. That, that he prayed to the God of Israel faithfully. That he gave alms, donations to the people of Israel. Do you remember what the angel said to Cornelius last week? Your prayers and alms have reached the presence of God as an incense. He was the God-fearer. And now these Jewish believers are saying, wait, 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 wait. If we're going to let these Gentiles in, all of the males are going to have to get circumcised. Or in our case, put on a Bordeaux t-shirt. A lot easier, let me tell you. Peter, this is not the way we do things. This is not the way we've done things. They need to convert to Judaism if they're going to be allowed in. And only then can we be in the presence of these proselytes. Because they have completely surrendered themselves over now to Judaism by getting this outward mark. In every other circumstance, being in the presence of a Gentile would make a Jewish person unclean. Are you with me? You see, Jews didn't even share meals with Jews who were tax collectors and sinners. Even worse, a Gentile who was considered a God. And so the leaders of the church and this Jewish group, they're scratching their heads because in their minds, if a Gentile is going to be permitted in the church, he must first become a Jew. And to be a Jew, what did you have to do? be circumcised. You need to understand this problem is going to pop up again. So if you're making notes, just put in Acts 15. Because this same reality of circumcision is going to come up again. As the, the, the Gentile church starts growing and exploding, <laughs> Paul is going to have to come and explain and Barnabas, about why this is happening and why these Gentiles now are not becoming Jews first before they're integrated into the church. So this problem is not going to go away. How many of you guys know that sometimes things are like that in our own lives? We hope to always deal with everything and they go away right away, but that's not the way how things happen. Things linger and they stay and we got to figure it out. And it's a season more than a one-time thing. In the church, sometimes the same things happen. This group of circumcised party, they're allowing their prejudice to come into the church. They're discriminating between them who are the haves and between the Gentiles who are the have-nots. How about you and me? Do we find ourselves ever looking down at those around us? Do we feel that somehow we are better, more faithful, more blessed, more loved by God than the person that you're sitting next to right now? That somehow you feel that you should have the right to have more access to God because you've been a believer longer than they have. I have seniority here. Oh, God. 
Because God's children, we're all the same. And it doesn't matter how long or how recent you've been a believer, you're a child of God. God has no favorites. God shows no partiality. Right? Peter will say that God told him, go with these men and show no what? No partiality. Right? Don't hesitate to go with these Gentiles. Go. And now they're having to wrestle through this reality. <clears throat> because sometimes we can fall into this same kind of temptation of wanting people to be like us. Of wanting people to do the things that we do, that we have determined, makes them believers because that's what we think they should be doing. How many of you guys are with me? If you come to this church, you need to wear a suit and tie. I wouldn't come to my church. I don't think I've ever worn a suit and tie here. No. You can only be a part of this community if, if. Oh, but William, are there things in Scripture that we're called to do? Yes. But only the things in Scripture. Not the things that we as men devise that bring people in to the kingdom of God. There is one Savior. It's Jesus Christ. And He saves people through the faithful preaching of the Word of God. Nothing else. So who is allowed in here? Absolutely. And who does Jesus want to see in here? Everybody. And you know who is Excluded from everybody? Nobody. Just to be emphatic, that we have a as a church have tried our best to welcome everyone through that foyer the same way, knowing that they need Jesus Christ just as much as me and you. And that when God saves them, they're just as saved as much as you and me. And that there's absolutely no difference, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit as much as you and me. There's only one difference. Experience, maturity, growing in the faith. That's all. And that only comes with what? Time. God hears my prayers more than yours. Because I've been at this a little bit longer. Learn from me. Whoa, 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 whoa. You want to come here? You own a shirt and tie? If not, you better go buy one. I remember the first time I preached in jeans at my church. Not this one. I told my pastor, because I don't want to get in trouble. But I wore jeans to prove a point. And it was incredible. At the end of service, I had all the elderly ladies come up to me and say, Oh, William. What a great sermon. But it would have been so much better if you were wearing a suit. I'm like, really? You would have heard from God more if I had a tie on? I'll bring a box of ties if I have to. Those things so often are not done in an evil way. Right? They're not done to harm 
or stand in the way. Right? But over time, they can become traditions that we hold on to where eventually they become expectations. Lord, deliver us and free us. This is their protest of this group. And so Peter comes, and what does he have to do now in verses 4 to 15? He has to retell everything that God did. He's in a position now where he has to give a defense. He has to explain himself and his actions. Because there needs to be some kind of resolution to this conflict in the church. And so in verse 4, I love Peter. What does he do? He knows his best defense is simply to do what? To retell the events that happened from the beginning. And, and look, Luke, who is writing the book of Acts, finds it to be important to retell again, repeat almost word for word the previous chapter 10. Are you with me? It, it's so important that Peter is going to narrate to the people in Jerusalem, the church leaders, and the Jewish believers in vivid detail his vision and the vision of Cornelius. Let me say something. Don't be surprised if sometimes in our gathering people complain or criticize what happens here. I don't like that they do that. I don't like that theater. It's so black. That screen, it is so big. Let me tell you, man, if we can't get the word of God into you that big, I don't know how we can. You should have seen the first couple of weeks that we were here. The letters were massive. We've done a better job. There are going to be those who disagree with us. And it's important that we hear them out. And that we address their concerns. And that when they have concerns, that we address their concerns through the truth of the word of God. You see, when people have legitimate concerns, we as a church need to help them understand God's wisdom. And the reason why we here do what we do. We, we want people here to walk with clarity. We want to stand firm together on the truth of God's word. We don't want people coming in here and being like, so why do they just sing one song before service and then a bunch of them at the end of service? You want to know why we do that? We do that intentionally. And you want to know why? Let me tell you why. Because in North America, people have a bad habit of showing up to gatherings late. And the reason is, oh, it's just worship. It's okay. What? So what you come to offer God, your worship, is okay if you don't do it? So you come to receive from the Lord. But the part that you are to give to him is different. You don't care? Did I just hear that right? So you show up late? Oh, but that's not why I do it. Regardless, you're doing it. So we sing one song intentionally so that we hope you feel really bad not to miss the word of God. Because people have a harder time missing out on that. Oh, what did, what did they say the first 20 minutes of the sermon? Should have been here. Go back for watch it online. So we do it intentionally. Why? We want your time of worship at the end to be a response to the word of God. We want you 
that as you're worshiping God at the end of service, that the word of God would be flowing so much in your heart that you're thinking about what it is that the Lord would want you to do with what you've learned from his truth. So if you just ask, we'll let you know. Why? Because we want people to know the reasons why we do things. William, why do we have a different person from the church every Sunday come up and read the word of God? That takes time. Why don't you just read it? I'll tell you why. Because I don't know if you know that in North America, biblical literacy is going like this. And not like this. Like this. And so one of the ways that we can encourage biblical literacy is by having different people come up here and read the Word of God. And there's only one necessary um, qualification that you need, one requirement. You know what it is? That you can read. Why? Because if we are the body of Christ, we need to teach each other that we all have something that we can give an offer in the kingdom. And everyone can come up and read God's word. Oh, but William, it takes time. Why do you guys take so much time praying for people in your service? That's one of the questions I get a lot. I don't see that happen in other churches, or if they do, it's just like a general prayer. Why don't you guys like have a, a quarterly prayer meeting where you guys can do all of that? We do have a quarterly prayer meeting. And we want you to come. And we're wanting to move that towards a monthly prayer meeting. Why? What do we always say about prayer here? Prayer here. Prayer reminds us what? That God is worthy and that we are needy. We pray so that we consistently have a healthy view of who he is and of who we are. And so we take time in our service and we pray for people. Because we believe that God has power to work in people's lives. That's why we do it. Well, but what about the other churches? Well, don't figure out what they do and why they do what they do. But if you want to know what we do, just come and ask. Because there's reasons why we do what we do. Last one. Why do you guys preach through books of the Bible? Simple. Because without God's word, we're nothing. And we don't believe in topical sermons where you just grab things out of the air and say a bunch of things and grab a bunch of verses and put them together where you don't even take into consideration the text, the context of the text of what's being said. And so we just faithfully go through books of the Bible. And you know what my hope and prayer is? It's my hope and prayer that in 40 years from now, we can look back and say that we've gone through the whole Bible. And that we're actually archiving our podcast. We've gone through the Gospel of Luke. We've gone through the book of Philemon, Colossians. We've gone through the book of Daniel. Praise God. Because it's God's word through God's spirit that changes our lives. Not the wisdom of men, but the wisdom of God. And the best way to focus on the wisdom of God is to keep coming to God again and again and again. So in verses 5 to 10, Peter begins to retell. He's in Joppa, praying. He sees a sheet come down from heaven that's being held by its four corners. He can clearly observe, like he's making this so vivid, like I clearly saw, like I could see this sheet falling from heaven. And on the sheet, very, not different, but adding to what he said in chapter 10, he gives us four categories of animals here, right? Animals, wild beasts, reptiles and birds of the air. If you go back and you saw in chapter 10, Luke says only three categories, but here we get four categories, just a little difference. 
And then Peter hears a voice from heaven saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter refuses. I'm not going to obey, Lord, no. I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. Why? Well, because nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. What's Peter saying? Lord, I have been a faithful Jew my whole life. I have followed the Old Testament dietary and table fellowship purity laws always. I'm never going to do what you're asking. Then God makes a declaration. God speaks a second time and says, What God has made clean, do not call common. God is telling Peter, Do you see all of those animals on that sheet? That used to be unclean, now they are what? Clean. Everything on that sheet is available for you to eat as food. And we know that God is not talking about food here. Right? You guys remember two weeks ago what's going on here? Peter is praying, but he's asked the people in the house of Caesarea to make a meal because he's what? Hungry. And so God gives them a vision in light of this hunger to show him what? That now Gentiles are clean. They're no longer unclean. There no longer needs to be a separation. There's no more hostility between Jew and Gentile. That, that now Peter can be in the presence of Gentiles because they're as clean as Jews are. And they all need salvation just as much, just the same. And so Peter is retelling this. And he emphasizes that God tells him how many times? Three times for emphasis. No, 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 Peter, you can eat. Why? Because I now have made it clean. And no one should call unclean what God calls clean. And we know that this cleanness isn't talking about being without sin. It's talking about being approachable to go and share the true message of Jesus Christ. That God now is offering salvation for all people. He hears this a third time. God is reinforcing this new truth. And all of a sudden, the sheet is taken back up into heaven. And in verses 11 and 12, the vision ends, and the three men arrive in Caesarea, where Peter is staying. And the Holy Spirit tells Peter to go with these three men without, what's the word? Distinction. Other translations use the word hesitation. So God is telling Peter through the Holy Spirit to treat these three Gentiles who have come to take him to Cornelius without discrimination. There is no distinction or difference between you, Peter, and them. So go with them. Peter obeys. Does Peter go alone? No. Peter takes six men along with him from the church from Joppa to Cornelius' house. And look at, look, and look at the text here in these two verses. These six men now are where? They're with Peter as witnesses 
before the apostles and the Jewish believers. Do you guys see it in the text? Look at what it says. He told us how he had seen an angel. Who is this us? It's Peter, along with the six men that have gone with him to Caesarea to witness everything. And now these six men are where? They're with Peter in Jerusalem before the leaders explaining all of this. So in, in Jewish law, in order for something to be verified as true, you needed how many witnesses? Six. How many is Peter producing? Six. With himself? Seven. He's providing an overabundance of fact of what God has done. To make sure that it's abundantly clear to the leaders there that Peter isn't the one making this up. These six witnesses have seen everything happen at Cornelius' house. And not only, if these six witnesses were with Cornelius at Cornelius' house and they stayed at Cornelius' house with Peter, what are they also then? The Jewish believers. Good point. Defiled. And they're all standing there, all seven of us. We're all dirty. All of us. In your eyes, we're all unclean. But we've all seen the same thing. And that's what we're sharing with you is what we see. Peter's point with all of the witnesses is to show that there is no way in denying what God has done. Peter and the six men, they enter Cornelius' house without hesitation. And I don't know if you noticed there, but the name Cornelius is never used. See how he refers to Cornelius as the man? Do you know why? It's for two reasons. First, it's because it wouldn't have mattered to the Jewish believers who this guy was. It was just enough that he was a Gentile. He's dirty. He's unclean. It doesn't matter who he is. But to Peter, it also doesn't matter who Cornelius is. Why? Because God came to the Gentiles. It doesn't matter that it was specifically Cornelius. It was just the fact that, Jesus, that God chose to come to them and to save them. And in verses 13 and 14, Peter now retells Cornelius' vision. Cornelius saw an angel standing in his house. And the angel tells him to send men to Joppa to go call Peter. Peter, the angel tells him, will come to his home to be able to declare a message that he and his household will be saved. You see, God, through the, through the angel, tells Cornelius that what Cornelius needs is the preaching of the gospel message of Jesus Christ so that he and his household can be saved. You see the command to preach here? He will declare something to you by which you will be saved. Peter is telling the apostles and the other Jewish believers that as Cornelius sent for him and as he came, he had the opportunity to preach to them. And I just want to make something clear here. When you hear the word Cornelius' household, this would have included his immediate family, his wife and children. This would have included his relatives and everyone else under his authority, which would have meant his slaves and the attendants in his house. God saves all of these Gentiles. It's not just Cornelius. 
all of the Gentiles that are a part of Cornelius' household. It's clear that God chooses to save people through the proclamation of the message of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we as a church would always be faithful and courageous and have the strength to faithfully continue preaching God's word so that God could continue saving people. Do we want to see this church grow? Do we want to see this church grow? We need to preach Jesus Christ. Do we want to go and plant churches? Yes. And if we do, what do we need to do? Preach Jesus Christ. We want to see more children come to know Jesus Christ? What do we need to do in our classrooms? Preach Jesus Christ. We want to see families come to know Jesus? Young people come to know Jesus? Older people to come to know Jesus? What's the one thing that we need to continue doing? Preaching Jesus Christ. And then Peter says in verse 15, that as he started preaching to Cornelius and his household, and the idea here isn't as if Peter was in his introduction, and then the Holy Spirit falls and fills people. It's more that as Peter is sharing Jesus Christ, before coming to the end of his sermon, the Holy Spirit fills the Gentiles. So think of mid-sermon, like right now, right? You've been sitting there for half an hour, and I preach for another half hour. That's not going to happen. So I want to hope you guys are okay with that. But just to know that Peter is saying, listen, as I was preaching, halfway through my sermon, the Holy Spirit fell. The Gentiles were filled. Just as we were filled in the, where? What does it say in verse 15? Beginning. Peter refers back to Acts chapter 2, to his experience, listen, the experience of the other 11 apostles and the other 108 people that were in the upper room praying in Acts 2. Remember the 120? Peter says, do you guys remember what happened to us? The same thing happened to them. The same identical, no different. We know that this was the beginning of a new era where God would send the Holy Spirit to fill new believers. And now that Gentiles have the identical filling of the Spirit just as these Jewish believers. And this is Peter's point. The Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. I want you to hear this clearly. Please listen. If you have repented of your sin and maybe believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That would have been a great moment for you to say amen. We all have been given the Spirit in the same manner. The Holy Spirit fills us. He fills me. And he fills you, and he fills us no differently. This is Peter's point. That when you have Jesus as Savior, you have his Holy Spirit. And now we finally see the response. We saw their protest, and now we see Peter retelling and explaining himself. And now we see how Peter and how the, the apostles and the church leaders, how they respond. 
He responds in verse 16 and 17 by applying everything that God had done, the whole experience. And now he understands what God is accomplishing. And he interprets it. Look at what he says in verse 16. Peter, he brings everyone even further back than Acts 2. Do you see what he does? He refers to the words of John the Baptist and of Jesus Christ himself about the promise that Jesus would come to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus, look at what John says in Luke 3, 16. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus then said after his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, look at what he said. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see what Peter is doing here. He is relating his experience of what he has seen happening, and he's anchoring it in the Word of God. Did you hear that? He is putting his experience under the authority of the words that were spoken by John the Baptist and by Jesus himself. He is not anchoring the experience as the experience itself. But he's bringing that experience with the understanding of what he has of the word of God and saying, this is how I make sense of what's happened. Because guess what happens a lot in our day today? People have experiences, and they elevate that experience over the Word of God. That is very dangerous. Never, ever, ever do that. You know why? Because God would never contradict himself. So if what you've experienced is not in Scripture, you should question what you've experienced. Because Peter shows here that he makes sense of everything that God showed him, in light of the word of God that was spoken. And he's saying, listen, what happened is what John the Baptist said and what Jesus himself said would happen. The promise that the Father would send the Holy Spirit has finally come. So please remember that. Our experience must always be subject to the truth of the word of God. We need to make sense of our experiences according to the word of God. We must always conform our experiences to God's truth. Because God never, nor will he ever, contradict himself. In verse 17, we see Peter's conclusion. And look at how Peter has a healthy view of God and of himself. Do you see what he says? Look at how he refers to himself. Who was I that I should stand in God's way? Peter's like, I'm nobody. And who am I to stand in God's way? Peter is saying, I have no right to oppose God and what God chooses to do sovereignly according to his will. I'm but a simple man. Peter has a healthy view of God, being all-powerful, who can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, through whoever he wants. And knowing that he, Peter, is but simply kind of almost watching as if you were in this theater watching a movie. 
Peter's participation is observing what God is doing. Did you get that? Peter's participation is like, listen, I'm just telling you what God did. I just obeyed and did my little slice of going and preaching. But I wasn't the one who made the Holy Spirit fall. That was God. And if God made the Holy Spirit fall and he fell on them just like he fell on us, who am I to stand in God's way? And the answer to that question is we are nobody. In light of who God is. He is the creator. We are the creation. He is the father. We are his children. He is the master. We are his slaves. Hmm. And then in verse 18, and everybody say, Amen. We're coming to the end. We see the response of the apostles and of those of the circumcision party. And again, I don't want to belittle this point. But as Peter is saying this, I want you to try to get this image. Peter is standing there. Who's standing next to him? The other six witnesses. And, and again, I, I want to just point out this highlight because I know I didn't, but it's really important. I want to find it. I think it's 1046. If you guys want to open up your Bibles, look. We got the slide? 1045. Look, 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 look. Just, this is talking about the six men who are with Peter now standing. Look at what it says. And the believers from among the what? Circumcised. Who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So you know that group that's criticizing Peter for being with uncircumcised men and eating with them? So these guys, these six witnesses from the Joppa church, they're part of the same group because they are from the circumcised. Did you, did you get that? So these six guys are now saying, yeah, you know what? Yeah, we, 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 we thought that too. And now they're telling this other group who think that the Gentiles need to get circumcised and be like, yeah, we were there and I don't know, but God did something. So who are we? And in effect, they're saying, if who are we, who are you? Because we thought, we believed the same thing like you. We thought that Gentiles had to become proselytized, that they had to be circumcised. And now we're here, we're seeing that God poured out his Holy Spirit in the same way that he poured it out on us at the beginning. So what are we going to do? And then the response is fantastic. What's the first thing that happens after Peter starts speaking? Everybody becomes silent. Do you know what this silence means here? All of the criticism, all of the questions, all of the confusions is all of a sudden thrown out the window. There's nothing else to say. What can we as mortal men say in light of what God does? And everyone understands that God is the one who's been at work. Not Peter. It's God. And now, there are no more objections. But instead, what happens? What do they do? They begin to glorify God. (laughs) 
they realize and recognize God has done this. And let me tell you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, God's work must always lead to worship. When you recognize that God is at work in you and at work in the other people around you, it should always lead us to praise and worship Him. All the time. You see, these men, they're standing there and they're trying to make sense and they're complaining and they're protesting and now they're not protesting anymore and now they're praising God because before they thought one way and now they think another way. Why? Not because of what God has done in their lives, but because of what God has done in those who they think are the ones who are the furthest away from God. That God is so powerful to go and reach the person that is furthest away from him. And what do they do? They praise God. There's nothing else left to say than to praise God. And then, I love it. This is the way it should always be. We see God at work, we praise him, and then we start thinking through the theological implications. This is what they do. Then they begin thinking through Okay, so what does this mean? So like, this is God? We're worshiping him? So then, the only conclusion that we come to is what? Gentiles. What's the word after Gentiles? Say it loud. Also. Also. Do you know what that means? Along with us. Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Also. Us and them. God didn't just give us the opportunity to be able to repent and to receive God's life, but God also gave it to them in the same way that God gave it to us. And we see these two elements here. Look clearly. Please stick with me. We see human responsibility, repentance, and God's provision. You see that in the text? There's always these two realities. What we do as men and what God must do. Now the hostility that once existed between Jew and Gentile now no longer does. Why? Because God has also granted to them that repentance would come. And so we see this clearly here, the reality of regeneration of that God does in us. That we who were far distant and dead, God had to revive our hearts so that we could see our sin. That we could realize that we were far from God so that we could repent and believe. That as we repent and believe, what happens? Who comes and dwells in us? The Holy Spirit. God gives us of his eternal life now today. The seal of our salvation. And, and this is what is meant to continue happening today. Do you know why? Because we as the church will never ever turn away anyone that walks in through those doors because they are our also. You know, the fact that you're here today is the practical application of this text because we are all Gentiles. We are standing here today. We are seated there today because the church humbled itself before the work of God to the point of continuing taking this message to the rest of the world because now there were no haves and have-nots. There was a God who was saving everyone and anyone that would repent and that he would give his spirit to them all. Stand with me. Please.
more, God. I pray that we would be the kind of people who can recognize your work in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Oh, Lord. And I pray that we would be just as joyful of the work that you're doing in us as you're doing in the others around us. Lord God, deliver us from our human tradition, from those things which we think others must do for you to accept them. Lord, deliver us from any discrimination, from any prejudice, from looking down on other people for whatever reason it may be. Because we know that we all are undeserving of your grace. That none of us deserve salvation. But that now, we are the also. We are those whom you have redeemed. Whom you have saved. Bringing us to a place of repentance. Helping us see our sin. So that we can humble ourselves and turn to you and away from sin. But that you can fill us with your life. With the person of the Holy Spirit. So Lord God, I pray that as we see God working in our lives and in the people around us. That it would bring us great joy. That would cause us to praise you and to worship you. Lord God, we're going to do that right now. And we pray that our response would be one of gratitude, of seeing that now, God, you offer salvation to everyone. Amen. Let's worship God together.
Teach us to be merciful just like you are merciful. Teach us to have the mercy of Jesus Christ. We understand that the same spirit that was in Jesus also lives in us. So, Father, help us to follow him in every way. And we understand that mercy is even one of the gifts that you provide. Mercy. Mercy. Mercy triumphs over.
Father, we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. In our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for revealing many things to us now that we have not yet submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your mercy upon us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. trust that we're collecting our tithes and offerings. Lord, help us to be faithful in our giving in Jesus' name.
Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your delivering power to set us free from all deception, Father. We thank you. Help us to go in the boldness of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we just have a few next steps. You guys can take a seat quickly if you'd like. Um, just a reminder, we're having our very first um, summer camp. It's called Stellar. Um, this is open to students in grades 1 to 5, and it's happening from July 4th to the 7th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and it's going to take place at St. Charles Garnier Elementary School here in Mississauga. The registration is now open. You can do so online on the church website under events. We encourage you to invite your family, your friends, your neighbors, anyone whose child is within this age group, we encourage you to invite them to come. The cost is $105 per child, but please don't let this be a hindrance. We've already had some people here at Centerview sponsor um, to send children to camp, so if this cost is not feasible to you, please speak to myself or Pastor Christina. And again, if you'd like to sponsor for more children to come, you can do so online on our giving page and select the drop-down Send a Child to Camp. If you have any more questions, you can speak to Pastor Christina or myself. Um, and then for all the youth and young adults in, in the room and for people that you know, we're having our first lighthouse on Thursday. Um, it's moving to Thursdays, and so the first one will be this week. Um, we will be meeting at Sheridan College at 7 p.m., so this is for anyone in high school or young adults. If you have any questions, you can speak to Christian or myself. Um, and then next Saturday, so just less than a week away, on June 17th, we have our men's sports night from 7 to 10 p.m. Um, you can take a picture of the slides so that you know where to go and all the information that you have, but we encourage you to invite your friends out, to invite your neighbors, um, and to join to join the men. I won't be there, but to join the men for the sports night. And then finally, um, our church picnic is on June 24th, and it's going to be at Huron Park Area D from 10 a.m. onwards. So please invite your family and friends. Bring some food for yourself, for your family, and even some to share. So I'm just going to close us in prayer, and then we'll be on our way. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day where we've been able to gather and worship you, Father, and to hear from your word. I pray that as we go from this week, God, I pray that you continue to work in our hearts and in our minds. I pray that um, we would continue to seek you earnestly, Father. And so um, just be with us. I pray that we would be able to gather again next week safely. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Mm -hmm.